Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I got good news for all of you. I will not be taking my clothes off today. <clears throat> right, right. I, I do own a pool company, however. And um, the lady, this was years back um, before dad bod fully set in down here. But I was cleaning somebody's pool and the lady whose pool I was cleaning was like, uh, she worked at a Baptist church. Um, she, I think she did like the youth or something. She did the Bible teaching for the youth. And her daughter, at this time I was a pastor, and her daughter uh, come outside and was talking to me while I was cleaning the pool. And she said, what do I gotta do to get you to do this in a Speedo? <laughs> the, 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 the mom smacked her in the back of the head and said, He's a pastor. He doesn't do that. And I said, tank top is as far as I'll go. Okay, I'll do a tank top, and, but that's as far as I go. So, yeah. How are you guys today? Good? I talked to Joel a little bit. Actually, we texted back and forth a little bit. They're having the time of their life. Um, they're seeing, this morning, I think he said he saw 11 people give their life to the Lord. Um, yeah. And they said there's some healings breaking out. And they said that Justin Ito's having the time of his life. Not sure exactly what that means, but I can imagine knowing Justin that that's probably true. Um, so yeah, we're, is it family mission day? I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Um, but the mission of God and the mission that's happening at Sozo, how many of you guys know it's something very special? And I believe it's something that we're being pioneered that's been leading up the past few years have been leading up to this. And I, and I feel like that we're in a season now we're hitting a new year that this gospel message of the gospel of the family in the next five or 10 years is really going to take off. And let me tell you, the leaders that you guys have here, um, they model this very well. They don't just get up here and speak about this stuff and be like, we need to be family. They actually live in relationship, authentic relationship with people. How many of you know that's a big deal, right? For them, they love the people here. They have a heart for the people here, but their heart is family. So when Joel asked me to do this, I was like, man, this is just what God is doing. This is just amazing. Are you guys good today? All right. I know Joel said he stepped on toes. How many of you Joel's probably the best toe stomper there is out there? He's the most graceful. Sometimes when he says, yeah, I'm about to step on some toes, and I'm like, oh man, but then he'll do it, and I'm like, that's the most graceful toe stomping I've ever seen. He's really good at it. I'm not as good at it. I'm practicing um, being like Joel, but I'll try not to step on too many toes today. Is everyone good? It's, it's, not, it's, coming, it's, it's not directed at us as a church per se anyway, right? Are you okay? All right, here we go. Um, the gospel of God, there's there's, how many of you know the gospel is multifaceted, right? A lot of the gospel that we've preached is you're going to say a prayer, a magical prayer out loud, and then one day when you die, you're going to go join your family in heaven, right? That's been the major message that we've lived up to, 
but that message is dying away. It's dying away because God gave us a mission to create family here, right? It's very pagan thinking to be idolizing an afterlife. If you look through Hebrew tradition, they're always looking for something to happen here. And when he gives us all these gospels, there's actually seven different gospels that it mentions. It's one gospel, but can everyone say it's multifaceted? There's the gospel of Christ. It's one we need. Because it's, there's seven, it brings everything to completion. The gospel of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. The gospel of the Son, we all become sons and daughters of God. The gospel of peace, right? All these gospels, they make up a big picture. But the one that we haven't spoke about as much is the gospel of God that Paul mentions. I know that um, Dustin loves this one. But Jesus came and he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I think it's Philip or Thomas when they ask, when are we going to get to see God? He said, Jesus said, I've been with you this whole time and yet you do not recognize me, right? He came to reveal the Father and he's the first person to ever call the Father Abba. They'd always called, it was even too holy to say God out loud, right? But he came and he said, not only is he God, but he is Abba which would translate better to being daddy. He's intimate. And like Joel said last week, if he didn't want a bunch of children in a family, he wouldn't have called himself father. He's a dad that came to the earth. God came to the earth incarnate to create family on the earth and to reveal the heart of God. And we're in a season now where this this message of the kingdom on earth is about to take root and it's gonna take off. It's gonna be no longer about saying a magical prayer out loud so we'll one day go to heaven. Listen, I have a son in heaven. One day I'm gonna see him, I'm gonna go up to him, I'm gonna give him a big hug and tell him I love him. But until then, I'm gonna do what God has me do on the earth. I wanna do the things God says I can do here, okay? It's irresponsible to put the promises of God to a later date when we die one day, okay? We don't become sons and daughters when we die, We became sons and daughters when he died. You don't receive inheritance when you die. You receive inheritance when someone else dies. And that person died 2,000 years ago. You're already a son or daughter of God, okay? There's gonna be more, of course. The the kingdom is everlasting. It's gonna get better and better and greater and greater. There's gonna be stuff to look forward to when we die. Yes, I'm not saying that. But the mission, and I hear a lot of people say, I'm just here to populate heaven while I'm here. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because we look all throughout the book of Acts and that gospel message is not preached one time, right? It's preached 18 times and not one time is it about just living here and waiting on a rapture to come so we can get the heck out of here, right? The goal is to build family on the earth and I'm gonna take you guys on a journey through here. Are y'all good? All right. Joel wanted me to start with Abraham, so I'm gonna start with Abraham. So Genesis 22, 18. Through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that was good news for Abraham. And later on, it goes and talks about David, who Jesus was the son of David, that he was excited to see the time of the, of, of the next season of life when Jesus would be here. So these are men that had a great vision for something happening on the earth. 
They were not idolizing an afterlife of one day they're gonna die. It says they were excited. Even Jesus says, I think it's in John 8, when the Pharisees um, are saying all these, like bashing him, and he's like, even your father Abraham delighted to see that the day that I would be here. They lived their life in such a way that they were thinking beyond just the life they're living now, and they were thinking into generations, okay? God is after generations, and it's only gonna happen through family. I didn't hear that word. It's like family. It's like, oh, like that makes some people feel really uncomfortable, even saying father, because some people have been so wounded by family, yeah? Like it can become an uncomfortable topic. I'm not gonna go there. All right, I'm not gonna go there. All right, can everyone open the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 11? And Isaiah prophesied this very thing in Isaiah 28, 16. He, so he's echoing what Isaiah was saying. All right, starting in verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would, not re- which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. How many of you know if you've read the book of Hebrews, he's actually talking about the new covenant. So even back then, Abraham is seeing a time period where it's all gonna become together in one in family. Now can y'all skip to, I'm gonna connect the dots here, to Ephesians 2. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place in God. Do you see how he's connecting the dots here? that he was actually looking for a place and a a time period where we'd all be coming together in the foundations that he's talking about. It says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets are the foundation layers. And what was the foundation that they laid? It was family. You notice that word there? It says members of the household of God. If you break that down in the Greek, it's oikos, and it means family, literal family. So even Abraham and David and them, the promise that they were holding on to is one day this is all gonna come together and we're all gonna be family. Are you guys following that? It's a pretty big deal. We're living in a time where we're living in the promises of the patriarchs before in which we'd all come together and we'd all be one in family. Notice the language of all throughout the New Testament. It's fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. And 
And family is messy. How many of you guys know family's pretty messy? And when Jesus came to reveal the Father, everybody in his presence felt safe to be themselves. Did y'all notice that? No one was hiding their sin from them. They weren't hiding their mistakes. You can see even Peter, like all throughout the whole time, they're doing things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Like they're walking with God and they're making all these mistakes because Jesus creates an atmosphere for people to grow in who he's created them to be. Jesus came here to reveal the Father and to start a family, right? And that makes people feel uncomfortable. Every time I can hear every time I hear the word family, people, that makes people feel uncomfortable. We've, we've gotten to a place with church where we've institutionalized it so much. It's all about meeting on Sunday and then go do all your thing through the week. And it's like, if you're doing discipleship, then you, you go meet someone for coffee, right? Once a week for about an hour. It's like, we've got everything so calculated when he didn't come to just, he, he came and he lived life with people. He lives life with people. And it's hard to grasp that concept living in America 2,000 years later because we're so busy, right? It's like busyness is the, is the enemy of intimacy. Hey, group, what do you do? You build a ministry. But Jesus wasn't about building buildings. He was about building people, right? I, Wendy and I, we, we lost a child in 2015, um, we had, a, we had a stillbirth. It was a very painful time. Some of you already know this. And we end up having Jasmine like two years later. And, and we were scared to death. Like we had just had something um, traumatic happen. And how many know sometimes you go through trauma? It takes a little while to recover um, from trauma. So after we had her, I'm like, y'all gonna let me take her home from the hospital? Like, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, are y'all gonna send somebody like to help us? Like, like, I'm scared to hold because when you move your finger, like her head falls back. I'm like, Jesus, like, how do, you, how do I do this thing? And you know, we put her in the car seat to leave, to leave the, the hospital and like, they don't have the neck support yet. So their neck's like this. And you're like, God, is her neck broken? Like, what is going on? Like, it's freaked me out. You know, I'd gone through a lot of trauma. And we got her home. We bought a brand new house. Um, and we put her in our bedroom, which was di- directly above the living room. And we would put her in one of those, what are those things called, Wendy? Those little, little bassinet thing. And we put all those pillows around her to make sure that neck is fine. And we got to, you know, is it too cold in the house? It's like... Um, and we started noticing, like every time we'd put her to bed, we would hear these loud footsteps upstairs. Or like the first time it was like, it, well, that wasn't very loud, was it? Dude, that's solid rock. That isn't going to make any kind of noise. Kind of hurt my foot, though. That was fun. Yeah. So we started hearing this loud boom noise upstairs. And the first time we heard it, because it's directly above the living room, we ran upstairs and just to make sure she's okay. And we get there and it's like, oh, she's like, she's in there and she's okay. We're like, what the heck was that noise? So I, because I've been around witches and things like that, like witches have identified for me, like you, 
Like I've walked by witches and they've said, you have an angel, two angels next to you. So at that point, like I had that same feeling, like we used to run a prayer and ministry team in Sacramento and a lot of witches and stuff came through there. They would come through the prayer line. We'd put our hands on them and one by one, they're just getting delivered. <laughs> well, one of them was, was like very angry and I had chased her one time to go talk to her because I'm like, God loves her. Just come give me a, a big hug. And she was like this. And she was like, you come anywhere near me, I'm going to try to kill you. And I was like, I'm just trying to give you a hug. She goes, and she went like this. And I was like, what? She goes, you don't see them, do you? And I said, see what? She goes, you guys don't see them, but I see them. And I said, see what? She goes, you have one big angel on your left and one big angel on your right. And they have their hands on your, sho- their, your shoulder. And I'm sitting there rocking back and forth like this. And I'm like, Oh, so every t- now I finally know what that feels like, <laughs> right? Don't get offended by that because if you read throughout the Bible, this is normal Christianity, right? Why, why does that stuff make us feel uncomfortable? This is normal Christianity all throughout the Bible. It was so common for them to see angels that they actually, Peter showed up at somebody's house. He was supposed to be in jail and they're like, Peter's here. Like, oh no, Peter's in jail. It's probably more likely his angel. Like it was very common, So let's not get uncomfortable about these things, neither here nor there. So I'm upstairs and that same feeling come over me and I'm like rocking back and forth. I'm like, oh, there's like angelic activity here because I know that because the witch told me what it feels like when there's an angel here. So we go back downstairs and every night, we never heard anything, but every night when we put Jasmine to bed, that same noise started happening. They'd be running around up there. I'm like, what the heck are they doing up there? Brought some of my friends who were more seers, and they're like, yeah, there's angels in here and all these stuff. We had college students come into our house. They're going upstairs when all this is happening. We're coming down, having a party. They're drunk, falling down the stairs. Whereas one night, they're all just laid out in a trance. Like, we went upstairs. Uh, some of them were skeptical, but we, we, we'd go upstairs. I'm like, well, if y'all don't, you know, if you want to experience it, come to my house. And we'd put Jasmine to bed. We'd just sit there downstairs. We're like, all right. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, oh, they're back. Like, let's go up there. Um, over a period of time, we got numb to it because it happened every night. Only we put her to bed. So we stopped going up there. And, and one night, it, something felt different. And I'm like, all right, like, it's been a while since we've been up there. I'm like, something feels different about those footsteps. So uh, Wendy and I went upstairs And when we did, we saw Jesus up there. And Wendy started crying. So I knew she was seeing him too. So we're having, we were both having the same encounter. Uh, He was doing something a little, talking to her about different things. But he 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 just looked right through me and he he didn't say he didn't say a word. Um, But he was looking right through me. You know how when you see someone, it's like they're literally looking through your soul? And he was speaking to me with his eyes, and I knew what he was saying. He said, Shane, this is the most important thing. He didn't say it with his mouth. I knew what he was saying through his eyes, and I knew that he was talking about my family. But I was a mission-minded person. And, uh, and I knew that he was talking about my family. And that's the first time I've ever felt the fear of the Lord before. I felt the joy of the Lord, and I'm always open to the joy of the Lord. And in that moment, and, and, and at the same time, I'd never felt so loved in my entire life. 
If the fear of the Lord does not accompany the greatest feeling of love you've ever experienced, you're not encountering the real fear of the Lord. You're not encountering the fear of the Lord. If it's not, I literally felt like I've never felt so loved, but also felt the conviction and the importance behind what he was saying. I'm like, this is a life changing. This is a life changer for me. Now I got to figure out what this entails. Because he's telling me, put my family first. This is the most important thing. And I knew bigger picture. He was talking about family as a whole. That was, that's the main part of it. But I knew he was going to, as, as I was walking with him, unlayer this thing to what it really meant. And I'm still walking that out and figuring that out too. And I'm like, okay. Like for me, I was going through a season of life. I was pretty bitter. I'm pretty raw. Are you guys okay? I'm just going to open my life up to you. That I, like good speaking and not being vulnerable, it's just not my style. Like you're not going to get anything out of head knowledge. Okay? Are you okay with this? So where was I going, Wendy? <laughs> At the same time, I knew I took... I, I, I took myself off the bench for four years for doing anything ministry related. I'm like, I need to figure out what he's saying. And I need to get the healing that I need because he's saying right now, the way my life is, the, the amount of bitterness I'm walking in is not healthy for my family. And he's after a generation and, and I don't wanna hand that off to my kids. You know what I'm saying? There's batons that we all have in our families and someone dropped it along the way, or someone did the best they can, could, or someone walked in religion and they hurt people and they didn't know what they were doing. But for me, I'm like, no. Like, I, I look back in my family, and I'm not saying I had a terrible upbringing. Like, I think compared to a lot of people, it was pretty good. But I'm like, there are certain things that have been passed down from generation to generation, and the Lord is telling me that I'm the one to pick up the baton and break the cycle of it. And that's what he's saying here today. There's, we've all encountered so much hurt. We've all encountered so many things, but we're in a season where it's time to grab the baton and get the healing you need. Because God is after families. He's after generations. How do you wanna change the world? You're gonna do it through family. That's what God is on right now. He's on family. If, if you've been hurt by parents and stuff like that, like I get that. I've, I've been through that. And, 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 and we need to recognize it for what it is. They, they can't help what they didn't know. Hurt people hurt people. And we're, we all get handed some level of baggage passed down, but we're in a season now where we're living with the most orphan generation in history. Do y'all know that? People are screaming bloody murder for their, for their inheritance right now. Because people, we've done a really bad job handing off the baton from generation to generation, right? I went to a church one time, and it was a huge church. It was just, it was a massive church. And I walked in, I'm like, wow, this, these people really like have built something here. And I walked in there, and it was empty. There was like 40 people in there. And it was like, it could have fit a few thousand. And I'm like, what happened here, Lord? And he said, there was not done well. The passing of the baton was not done well because we've been too concerned about building buildings rather than building people. It says that Absalom built monuments unto himself because he had no sons. 
If you're not pouring yourself into the next generation, you're just gonna be building monuments unto yourself. There's this prophet that I've been always fascinated with in the Bible, and I didn't know why. And until probably the last year, God started undoing um, revelation for me for this one prophet. I'm like, why does Elijah always get represent the prophets? Always. Moses always represents the law, and Elijah always represents the prophets. And I always wondered, Elisha has his double anointing. Why do we never talk about Elisha? He was the most powerful as far as anything goes. The dude had to double the anointing of Elijah and Elijah could call down fire from heaven. Like, and then Elisha was like, double that. And I'm like, why don't we talk about Elisha? Because Elisha didn't pay the price that Elijah did. We always talk about Elijah in the book of Malachi, I think it's chapter four. It says that the spirit of Elijah turns the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Elijah was a prophetic fathering spirit that knew the importance of family and passing down the baton to the next generation. That's why he always represents, in my mind, he represents the prophets because he got it. He discipled Elisha and he gave it away. And then what happened when Elisha died? Somebody fell on his bones one time. He had so much anointing left that they came back to life. They were dead. They fell down on Elisha's body, the person who he fathered. Elijah discipled Elisha, fell down on him, and the dude came back to life. And I used to think that was amazing. That's so freaking cool that when we die, and then I felt like grieved one day when I was reading that, and I was like, Lord, what is, why do I feel like, why does that make me feel weird? He said, Shane, because Elisha didn't give it away. He didn't look into the next generation and father the next generation. He he brought somebody alongside of him, a treasurer. They betrayed him and he became bitter at them. And apparently he was short, stubby, and bald. Let's Let's just say he's a baby boomer, okay? Not seeing baby boomers like that. But just for the sake of illustration to bring it into modern day. Let's say he's a baby boomer and he's walking by. There's another story where it shows what happened to Elisha as well. And then everyone started throwing, I think they were throwing rocks at him and making fun of him. The millennials and the Gen Zs were making fun of him. Boom. Blew up a generation. The anointing was not handed down. But there is a spirit of Elisha that God is bringing back now that's gonna turn the fathers, uh, the father's hearts towards our children and the children toward their fathers. Because we can't keep the gap because there's, there's a gap and I know this is uncomfortable to talk about. Listen, I'm, I'm a zennial. I'm part millennial. I'm born in 82, they call us zennials. So it's okay for me to talk about this because I'm myself I'm a millennial, okay? There's, there's always this gap and divide of the way people thinking that it's like there's no bridge being built. We're gonna keep losing generations and then one day all the millennials and Gen Zs are gonna grow up and they're gonna say the same stuff about their kids. Well, they don't make them like they used to. And you know, I remember hearing my grandma say that about her kids. And I'm like, every generation, it's like, the, it's like there's always this disconnect. And it's like, we need to create not a religious system, but we actually need to start living life together. 
It's the only way we're gonna pass the baton off successfully so we're in 200 years from now, we're not beating ourselves up about how bad of a job we did, right? This is what Jesus did. He came and he created family and he let people screw up and he didn't come down hard on them. You, you can see even like one of them's like, well, let's call down fire from heaven and kill these Samaritans. They don't wanna re- receive the gospel. And Jesus is like, you guys, what the heck, what spirit are you of? What's wrong with you? And then like the very next thing Jesus does goes, this is working out pretty good. Let's get 70 more. You know what I mean? Like God doesn't see the same things the way, the, sees things the way that we do. He's like, this worked pretty good. Let's get more of them. And it's like, but we'd be like, oh, we got to put them through this 12 sozo process to like, they're trying to kill people. They're murderers. It's like, dude, like we need to lighten up a little bit. Every generation is going to think differently and we need to be okay with that. We need to honor the gifts that they have in different generations. Be like, they're really good at this, not so good at this. Really great at that, not so good at that. We can compliment each other by picking up where we're weak. Does this make sense? I, had, I, don't need, I wouldn't even plan on talking about this at all. This is just what's coming out. We've started living our life in it. And, it's, and it is, it's like, at first, it might even feel inconvenient because living in relationship in America is inconvenient. We got football games, baseball games, we got kids, we got jobs. It's busy. And Jesus didn't have kids or a family. So I get that. But we've determined our core value is we're going to mother and father people. We just call it mentorship or bring them into our family. Whatever they call it, we don't care. Like, we're... We're going to solve a problem. You want to know what you're called to do? Find a problem and solve it. That's the kingdom. What am I called to do? Okay, what's the gifts that God has given me? Okay, what is my superpower? Okay, now what is the biggest problems going on in the earth right now? Take your gifts and go solve the problems. So I have a gift of encouraging people. So what do I do? I'm like, I'm going to pull people in and I'm going to make them feel like superheroes but we've made up our mind. We're gonna live life with people when it's inconvenient. We've, this is still new for us and we're walking this out. But when we go on vacations, we have, people would call a babysitter. She's not our babysitter. She's in our family now. We include them into our life and we pour into them. We invite them on vacations when we go. We've, you can find things to do to bring people into family. And not everyone is at a place to do that. Everyone's at a different season of life and somebody say, well, we got a lot going on in our family. I totally get that. Like getting healing for yourself because you can't give what you do not have. So if you're struggling, you're like, well, I have a hard time with that. And it's like, well, then get, just get healing. Like I've been to a psychiatrist before. Go to a psychiatrist. Like start the process. Do what you have to do to get in a place to where you can get healed enough that you can invite people into your family. We had these Aussies come stay with us for like 10 days. They're awesome. And I told them, right when they, st- right when they got to our house, I said, look, you guys are gonna get a double portion when you're here. And they're like, awesome. And I said, no, 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 no. What I mean by, you're gonna benefit from my strengths, but you're also gonna see all my weaknesses. A few strengths, a lot of weaknesses. Thank God for Wendy. I'd be in trouble, big trouble. But we bring them on our vacation. We we include them in our life. We pull them into life. And it's not like everyone's in the same season of life. But let your mind, let your heart be open to like, 
okay, what are the possibilities that God is saying something like that to me? Because it's like we want, in America, we like to live in isolation. Well, I need to fill myself up. I just, like I'm going on vacation. It's like, oh, I'm going to get what I need. And you go there and it's like, you get back from vacation. It's like, I lived in isolation again on vacation. I lived in isolation at home. I went on vacation. I lived in more isolation and I came back frustrated. <laughs> the, the book of Proverbs says, those who refresh others will also be refreshed. And I'm not saying everybody needs to invite people on their vacation. Don't. This is just something we decided to do. Everybody, you know what you need, okay? But for me, I'm the kind of person like, I need to get refreshed. I need to isolate myself and feed myself. And a lot of the times he's like, you just need to go pour out on someone. That way I can refresh you. You need to know the difference. Well, we went on a vacation with our babysitter slash person we brought into our family. I'm gonna share another, y'all good? Am I, am I a little too heavy handed? Are y'all okay? I just keep, I'm just real. Is that all right? Okay, so we're on vacation. We brought, um, her name is Sarah. We brought her with us. And all throughout the past few years, I've been seeing the number, the number 823 over and over and over. People will give me prophetic words about 823. And I'm like, well, my birthday is 823, so that makes a lot of sense. And I just keep seeing that number. Some people are giving me words about Psalm 23. I'm just seeing 823, specifically Psalm 23. And I'm like, okay, there's something going on with 823, 823, Psalm 23. Well, we had just come out of COVID. We had had COVID. That was the second time for me. And man, talking about long COVID, that was a few years ago. I still don't have my smell back completely or my taste. But if, you have, if you're familiar with the feeling of COVID after you have COVID, I was one of those people where COVID wasn't so bad for me until it was over. And then like I had zero emotion for a long period of time where I just felt like a zombie. Anyone know what the heck? I'm, he got me. Okay. Know what I'm talking about. So I had long COVID and she's got it too. So we're on vacation um, and we're feeling pretty, pretty bad. And I'm like, this is literally the worst vacation ever. I, like I'm out here. I don't feel anything. I feel like a zombie. And it was the last night we were there. And I'm like, well, let's see if Sarah wants to watch the kids tonight. And we're going to go down to the bar downstairs at the pool and maybe have a margarita and uh, try to enjoy ourselves. Try. Maybe margarita will help. So we're, we're going down to the bar um, down at the pool. And we just start mingling with the people there. And I start talking to this uh, lady and you could tell she's pretty emotional. And she had told me the reason why they were there. They just lost their 16-year-old granddaughter um, in a drowning accident about six months before. And they were, uh, they were there to honor her memory. And they had their whole family in one room. They had a huge family. They, they, they only had one room, but they were all, it was like the grandkids, the kids, um, like the aunt and uncles. It was like, man, they had the full-on family and they're staying um, in one room and they just begin to open up to us and they're, they're sharing the story. And uh, out of nowhere, somebody says in the background, we're in room 823. And I'm like, who ever tells someone what room they're staying in? Like, 
that just doesn't happen. Like, I've never told anybody what room. She's like, we're in 823. And then I felt felt God say, Shane, this is why you're here. This is who you're here for. We had gone on a vacation to refresh ourselves. And uh, that's not what we were doing there. He said, I want you to go pay for their vacation. And I said, okay, I will. And I want you to minister to them and I want you to love them. So we stayed there with them all night. We ministered to them. We went to the front. We paid for their vacation. And um, it was in that moment, I'm like, man, like there's so many things we miss in busyness that God wants to do through family. Busyness is the enemy of intimacy, Being busy and productive are not the same thing. So we paid for their vacation in that moment. I'm like, wow, like, okay. Like for me, even now, we we converse back and forth. But for, for to me, there's layers to this thing. I brought them into my family. Maybe not in the same way. You know, Jesus had the three that he was closest to. And then there's the, the bigger picture of the 12. But I'm like, I feel attached to them for the rest of my life. When I see their granddaughter that died, I feel like I've known her my whole life. Um, So relationship and family, it's inconvenient. But we have to get past the inconvenience of it. Are y'all following me? Let's stop meeting for Starbucks for an hour every week and just talking about sin management. Which sins you struggle with this week, brother? It's like, I just can't see Jesus being like, okay, like, Peter, I'm gonna meet y'all at two. And it's like, Okay, Peter, you're still racist. Got that? Check mark. <laughs> Struggling with racism. Okay. Thomas still doubting. Check. It's like, <sighs> that's not discipleship, you guys. We've institutionalized discipleship way too much. Pull people into your family. You find your family, you'll find your destiny. The book, the book of Ruth, perfect illustrates that. She lost her husband. They're like, well, I'm going to go back to my, to my, she lost her husband. I'm going to go back to my other country now. Um, no, she's like, I don't think I'll go back to my country. I'll, I love you guys. I think I'll stick with you. You're my family. She stuck with her family and changed the nation. Why? Because she stayed with family. And it doesn't mean everything you have that you need is in sozo. Okay. I have spiritual fathers from different countries. I have people I pour into from different countries as well. It doesn't mean that everything, it's like we always feel pressure in churches, like we have to create everything they need right here. It's like, dude, y'all just need to chill. Like, everyone needs to relax. If you want a Bible study, there's a church down the road does a great Bible study. Like, and you can still come to church here. It's like, we're like this, like, don't come inside my box. It's like, aren't we all the body of Christ? Like, are we not one? It says that God places people in the body as he wills. So where he places them is none of our business. Like, it's like, well, what are they, church, are they going to now? It doesn't matter. Like, is God called them there? Only they know that. Like, we've got to stop this competitive church thing we do. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, from the outside, I'm not a pastor anymore, so it's probably easier for me to say that. <laughs> but I'm like, Jesus, like, we're either a family or we're not family. Jesus modeled emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity. 
When he prayed, our Father, dear Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He operated in signs and wonders, but he also operated in emotional maturity, relational maturity, and spiritual maturity. He brought the kingdom in every facet of his life. Anyone can perform signs and wonders. Even non-believers, the Bible says even non-believers can perform signs and wonders. But relational maturity and emotional maturity and getting healthy for the next generation is what God is calling us to now. Because we've never successfully handed off revival from generation to generation. You'll go to a church where they used to have a revival and you go in and it's empty. You're like, what the heck happened here? Like, they didn't learn how to embrace also reformation and hand it off to the next generation of people. It's like, what do we do when one pastor goes away? They bring in another pastor. It's like, why didn't we raise someone up to take their spot? Like, why is there such a disconnect of power? And it's like, okay, well, I got this position. I want to hold on to it as long as I can. And it's like, we need to start thinking generationally or we're going to lose another generation. And the only way we do that is by pulling people into family. Jesus' disciples belonged before they ever believed. So I'm not necessarily even talking about believers. I, I pull some people in my life, like I don't even preach the gospel to them. I just love them until they're ready to receive what I have to say. Like Jesus' disciples belonged before they believed, okay? So when we're going out into the world, we're not, there's no agenda of getting them to say a magical prayer out loud so they can go to heaven one day. You pull them into family, because the fruit of that is gonna be way better than getting them to say a prayer out loud and then the next week they sin and they feel guilty and don't come back to church again. It's like, you gotta lose the agenda. And I'm not saying we're not supposed to be getting people to come to Jesus. That's obviously not what I'm saying. But people can feel the agenda behind it. How do I know? Because I used to be a drug dealer and when those Christian people would come up to me, the church people would come up to me with nothing to do with what they had to say. Because I knew they weren't being authentic. I'm like, you're just trying to manipulate me into saying a prayer out loud. I'm not doing it. Until I encounter Jesus, the real God who loves me and in love with me that changed my life. Because it's an encounter with God that changes everything and how does he do it? Through love. Okay? There's a way, like I have, I have family members um, a few of them have been living in church or grown up in church for 30 plus years. And they're exactly the same as they were 30 years ago when I was a kid. Some people think they've been growing in church for 30 years, but they've really only grown one year 30 times because they have never learned how to forgive. They're still bitter. They're still holding grudges against family. Like, it's like, we're, it's like you've been to church every Sunday, but dude, you still... You still hate your brother. It's like you're holding grudges against your mom. It's like, dude, this is like Christianity 101. We have to forgive these people. You know what I mean? And sometimes the hurt goes deep and it takes time. And I get that. But you have to be vulnerable and transparent enough to talk these things out to get real resolution and get the healing you need. Because it's like, man, there's this thing, well, you don't know what they did to me. It's like, it's not about you. Like, do you know what you've done to other people? It's like, it's ridiculous. So I have, I'm going to close with this. I'm sorry. Are you guys okay? Most of the, 
most of the stuff that I said, I had no, I had no intention of saying. Sometimes I just get up here and I just go. So I'm like, oh man, I don't know where I'm at right now. But I have a family member, grew up in church, um, uh, one of those every Sunday kind of people, family grew up in church, every Sunday kind of person. Um, as we got older, he started, I was doing drugs too, but he started using um, meth. And I saw him and I was, to be honest with you, I felt like he abused me a little bit growing up. I mean, we all have family like that, right? I mean, most of us were abused by someone in our family to some capacity. Um, but I don't think he treated me very well growing up. And there was a point in time, I'm like, I need to forgive him. I forgave him. And it was, for him, it was easy. Because I'm like, I, I, see, I see the background. I see the backdrop. I know how he got to where he is, um, being hurt by religion. I'm like, so I get that. So I'm talking to him. Uh, we were there for Thanksgiving. And I'm outside talking to him. And at this time, his teeth had rotted out. He didn't have any teeth. And uh, he just opened himself up to me. And he, I'd never see him be transparent. He was broken. And I'd never seen him be transparent my entire life. And he just began to tell me, like, I'm so proud. He was saying, like, I'm just, I don't feel right being around you because the way you've changed your life. And like, I'm still struggling. And he was like, I feel bad. I can't even go get a job because my teeth have rotted out. And I just felt so much compassion for him. It's like, man, my heart broke for him. And we're heading back home from, from my hometown. And I just started praying, like out loud, Wendy was right there and I'm like, God, do something. I just asked that you would just do something with his teeth. I just started making declarations over him and praying for him that something would happen with his teeth. Cause you know, it's like, man, like it was like infection in there. It was like not a good situation. And not long after he was in a restaurant eating and a dentist walked up to him and said, God told me I'm supposed to give you a new pair of teeth. Wow. That's a lot of money. If you guys know how much money a new set of teeth was, but God redeemed him and, it, and he heard my prayer for him because I'm gonna just go to Philippians 1, 6 and I'm gonna close with this. Or if it'll pop up on here being confident of this very thing is that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna, there's actually a little bit more to that. So I'm gonna go in where he finishes it. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both of mine and my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He said, I'm confident of this very thing that I know you're gonna be okay because I have you in my heart. Because someone of greater authority than the enemy has them in their heart, I know that they're gonna be okay. And you see in 2 Corinthians 5, it'll actually, sometimes they would release people to the devil. Well, they're just, the dude in Corinthian was sleeping with his stepmom or something. And I'm like, this dude needs to get a life. Just release him out of your heart for a while, <laughs> right? But it says, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I have you in my heart. There's something, there's something spiritual that happens 
for you and your family when you start to recognize things going on and instead of releasing them to the devil, you say, I know that they're gonna be okay because I have them in my heart. And I believe that's what happened with my relative. I had him in my heart, so I had him covered. Because me, I took authority over his life as his family member and said, nah, I forgive you for what you did to me growing up. I love you and I'm gonna pray for you. And boom, God showed up. Why? Because I had him in my heart. I knew he's gonna be okay because I have him in my heart. Can the prayer team come forward? I know this is super vulnerable, like family's not really a super theological thing to talk about. I mean, it's kind of raw and real. I mean, that's what family is, right? But I just felt like there's some people here that have been carrying things in family. You've been hurt by family. And it's like, it's time for to start a new course in your life because you don't wanna hand the same thing off to your next, the next, your kids that was handed off to you, okay? Your, your parents, people's parents, they're doing the best they can with what they know, okay? Like, and I honestly look throughout the generations and I see, okay, like this happened to them because this happened to them. But for some of you in here, it's like, all this stops with me. And today I'm gonna make my, I'm gonna change my mind about the way I'm feeling about my family and I'm gonna get the real healing I need, even if the other person's at fault. Because you may be legit. Maybe the person really hurt you and it's on them. But don't let that dictate the rest of your life because I've seen bitterness, I've seen grudges ruin people's lives. It is nasty. And the people I'm talking about are Christians. And I'm like, gosh, like we need to get, we need to get help. So I just wanna invite you up here. If, if there's something that's happened to you that you need to walk through or you need prayer for, or if you just want someone to say, hey, like I need someone to pray for me because I'm looking, to, I'm looking to create a new path in my life and for our family. And today, it starts today. So I just wanna bless you guys. Can I just pray real quick? And then everyone can come up. Father, I just thank you for today. God, I just thank you for a spirit of vulnerability and transparency to manifest itself today. God, that you are dealing with deep, deep things in people's hearts even now. And I... And I see something for uh, is Jay and Emily. Can you guys stand up? I just, I just see like God is saying like that the last four or five years have been like a grind. It's like been grinding the last four or five years. And I saw a tree and you know how a, a, a tree that's cut open and there's grains, like how it grains. And God is saying like, it's been difficult because I saw you putting your hand against it and you were squishing it the opposite direction. And God is saying, because you've been going against the grain of your family, like you're creating a new family path. It's like I see an anointing of Abraham on you, Jay. And it's like, no, like we're going to walk this thing out and we're gonna do things different. And I just see a lot of inheritance coming to you. There's like a major inheritance. And I hear God saying there's a bivocational ministry on your life. I see, I see business and I see ministry, and I feel like God is just undoing broken things experienced by fathers to like, it's like there's a brokenness of fathers 
And it's like, both of you guys are like saying, this is really hard, but we're gonna embrace this and we're gonna change, we're gonna change the direction that we're going. And, and I also feel like, I really feel like there's a, there's an apostolic prophetic ministry on you guys. There, you guys carry an apostolic prophetic ministry and I just see you discipling men. God saying, Jay, I've, I've called you to raise up men. And I even see you sitting down with them and walking them through practical life steps. It's like men are gonna come to you and you're gonna be like, I learned my lesson here. It's like all the things that you've learned in your process, you're gonna be able to impart to other men that you're actually a discipler and you, uh, you're super prophetic, Emily. There's a, just a prophetic grace on your life. And I just see God just um, undoing hurts that have happened to you in your own family from before. And it's like, you've had to walk that out and it's been like, man, that's just not easy. But there's something very unique and special. And I feel like God just wants to honor you guys because you everything you do is kind of secret. Like, you don't really like, well, look what we're doing. It's just kind of like, look who you are. It's not about what you're doing. For you, it's about who you are. And because of that, many are gonna come to you and sit at your table. Many are gonna come sit at your table with you. You're gonna bring many people into your family and you're gonna father and mother a next generation. So I just wanna pray that and I just declare that over you in Jesus' name. Yeah, yeah if you're near your prayer and encouragement, can you just come forward? Is it Greg? It's Greg and Kathleen. I just, as I was preaching, I just kept hearing the voice. Like it was kind of confusing me because I was trying to minister. But I just heard the Lord saying like, even as I was preaching, he was saying like, they're doing what you're talking about. I don't know what you do, what you're doing. But he's saying like, well done. Like you've, you've embraced the message before it was given. And it's like, I just see you guys bringing people into your own home and mothering and fathering the next generation of people. And it's like, you just open your life up. It's like, there's no agenda. God is saying like, you just have a heart to open your life up to others. And he's just saying, well done. He's like, I see what you're doing. You get it. You too, you get it.